I'm Catherine Kingsley. And I'm Catherine Stone. And this is Contemplating Culture, a missionary walk through a secular age. Together we journey through a secular age by Charles Taylor, a book looking at the history and philosophy of how the world got where it is and the impacts of our contemporary culture for us today as missionaries. And we're inviting you to join the conversation. Hello and welcome to episode one of Contemplating Culture, a missionary walk through a secular age. This is very exciting. So I'm Catherine Kingsley. I'm from the Missionaries of God's Love Sisters. And with me, I have Catherine Stone, also from the Missionaries of God's Love Sisters. Um, So we'll get into in just a bit uh, what this journey is and what we're hoping as you join us on this journey. Um, But we thought we'd just start with kind of sharing with you something of our heart for why we're here. I'll start. So I'm uh, one of five kids, so I've got four brothers, and I love them to pieces. My brothers are kind of my best friends. Um, But I would say three of them probably aren't friends with Jesus. And it's very fascinating watching the different worldviews that we have and the ways that impacts kind of the choices that we make in our life. So I always get a bit of my missionary fuel, I think, from that foundation of just wanting to know, you know, how the gospel message translates into their lives. The book that we are journeying through is called A Secular Age by Charles Taylor. And so this is a book I studied at university a few years ago in Melbourne. And it's a fantastic book. It's kind of like the history and philosophy of how we got where we are in the Western world. Journeying through, I found it a very important book, um, but it's very wordy, very heavy, very technical. And I thought, "Mm, people aren't really going to want to read this book, um, but I think they need to know what's in it. So I set about just cartooning the different thoughts and ideas I had as I was making my way through. Um, So I guess this podcast is the next step beyond that, of taking those little cartoons into a conversation that hopefully you'll be continuing on. I guess the beginning for me is coming from Tasmania, a state which is arguably the most secular in Australia, and coming from a family that sort of half Christian and half not at all. So those two factors had me growing up always with that tension in me of how do I share the one that I love? How do I share my faith with the people that I love around me? So add on to that the fact that I'm a spiritual director and I talk to lots of people who are on the same page but also live in a world with people around them who don't share their worldview, don't share their faith and are trying to grow in their faith and share their faith. And so I've, I've come to see that the need's wider than just myself to find language to talk about it and to find ways to connect with the world around us. I haven't yet read Charles Taylor's book. I've been meaning to for a long time. And this seemed like a cheating way of getting into it through KK's reading of it before I actually get around to picking up the book. So it's also true that we're both missionaries of God's love. That means that our life's work is evangelization. We have a particular heart for the young and those on the margins of society and particularly the unchurched. So it means that we've got constantly the challenge of finding ways to understand and speak into other people's world, a world and a language that can be quite different to the one that we live in when we go home. Awesome. So that's us. So our hope as we kind of begin this journey is to use A Secular Age, the book by Charles Taylor, to go on a journey 
looking at the wider concept of a secular age and what is this culture that we're in and what does it mean for us and what's being asked of us in these times. So I've titled this first episode, Where We Think We Are Matters, and I've taken that from pages one to four, so we're at the very, very beginning of the introduction. Okay, so how did you distill four pages into that one brief little phrase, where we think we are matters. What's the content or maybe a summary of the content that you've got down to that little line? Yeah, sure. Um, One of the underlying premises that Charles Taylor is bringing to us is that we might not be aware of A, the worldview that we're holding, or B, how we got here. And that will impact both the decisions that we make now and the decisions that we make going into the future or what future we're working towards. So he would say that where we think we are matters almost more than anything else because it's going to have so many implications. So a really simple example is he has obviously titled his book A Secular Age and he journeys through the word secular and kind of the three developing uses that it's had over time. Two would be popular use. And then the third is kind of his iteration of what he sees secular meaning. The origins of the word secular are kind of from that very early time when you had the sacred things and the secular things. So it might be the chalice that you're using at church in worship, that's a sacred cup. And then the cup you're drinking from at home, that's your secular cup. Or the altar in worship, that's a sacred table and the table that you're doing woodwork on at home, that's your secular table. So it's this kind of distinction of just separating what's sacred from what's not sacred. So kind of like division of church and state. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely kind of that first iteration. Um, So then we move on to the second and that's something around um, no longer just the things, so the sacred and the secular things, But looking more specifically, I guess, at faith, are people for faith or are people against faith? And you have this rise of atheism. And so it's secular too is what you would use if you're talking about "Ah, the music so secular or this is such a secular age. When you're using it with that kind of tone, it's saying there is a decrease of belief and of the morality that comes with belief and an increase of atheism. Okay. So it's basically like, because that would be how I would use the term most of the time. Yeah. Like, oh, it was such a secular movie or Mm -hmm. whatever. And what I kind of mean is it's moving away from anything that is important to me in terms of faith. And it's sitting very much in opposition to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And Taylor has then kind of said, actually, we're not in either of those places. He suggests that we're in a third kind of phase of secular. And that's what he means by a secular age. And that's why he kind of clarifies it at the start. What he's talking about is that it's no longer a world where faith is a given. Faith is no longer the foundation. So it's not like everyone's growing up in a Christian family and then is choosing to either stay with that or to move away. It's more like whether or not you've grown up in a Christian family, you independently have to find your way into faith or you independently find yourself in another place. And there's so many options of where you could go. And faith might be paired with some of those options and they might seem even contradictory. Um, So it's very much without a foundation, everyone's an independent unit on this search for what's my truth. Okay, 
So where we think we are matters. So I guess the thing that we're talking about, like I think one of his first points that he's kind of making here around this is that how we use words matters. That language is the tool, the vehicle for meaning. And so when we're using the right language, we have a better chance of communicating the meaning that we intend. And without that, when we're just using language carelessly or misinformed or naively, it can start to shape the way that we think about things, the way we think of ourselves, the world. We know that you hear something over and over. Like if I said to you, Kat, you're a great person. And I said that over and over and over again, you're going to believe that slowly. You're going to start believing it. If I said the opposite to you, Kat, you're a terrible person. Slowly, slowly, that language is going to start to shape your meaning of who you are. But also, I could totally misinterpret what you mean by great if I've got a different idea of what great means. Sure. And so if for me, great means you're a great person, but you're not awesome. So I'm actually like kind of going, well, she's sort of almost being a bit negative towards me. Then whatever your intention is, what I'm hearing is not going to build me up. It's actually going to make me feel like I'm mediocre and need encouraging in life. Yeah. Um, And so I think this kind of brings about that there can often be a disconnect between what's communicated and then the message that's received. Absolutely. And you see that so much, don't you? I see it as a spiritual director, as a missionary all the time because we have like for instance jargon that we use in the church that's a complete disconnect even with sometimes the ordinary catholic who hasn't grown up in the same theological or liturgical kind of immersion that we have let alone you go into a school and there's like teenage slang or jargon that you have to work out how to avoid saying the wrong thing it's a bit like I'm thinking, you know how missionaries in the past used to have to go and study for years so that they spoke the language of the country they were going to and they spoke it fluently so they could actually share the gospel to people in the language that they understood. I feel like maybe the adventure we're going on here, not just with Charles Taylor but in this podcast, is learning a language. Like how do we communicate with the world around us? And that foundation maybe is this understanding wall. You need to understand what the world you're communicating with is not just the language that it uses. You're so right, Kat. Um, Like we know that the missionaries going to a foreign country, often it's, you know, one or two years that they're spending and the, the only kind of missionary work they're doing is just learning the language and being with the people, that there's something in that, in taking the time. Yeah, I think that's a really good kind of model for what we're doing here is taking the time to develop the language that will help us have the conversations that are going to be important. Absolutely. So the next point I think that Taylor is making in this first little passage is not just how we use words, but as I said, how we use words then shapes our understanding of wider things. And I think one of the things that it can shape is our understanding of the world. Where we think the world is matters. It makes a difference. It's very interesting I read an article recently that was very interesting. It talked about this whole situation in Russia at the moment, and it pretty much said that the West doesn't know how to communicate with Russia because we don't understand Russia. And it's very interesting because I think there's almost a mindset in the West that 
when a culture develops technology, develops um, all of its political systems, develops its philosophy, it's going to end up in a state like the West is with civility, where violence is limited to personal interactions, that you don't just invade a country and make war. Like, that's not polite. It's not civil. It's not moral. And so we have these ideas. So then I think the whole Western world got a bit of a shock when there's a country in this day and age that can act in that kind of way. Like, it just seems ludicrous to us. But then you, if you take a second to sit in the position where Russia is, Russia can see everything that's happening in the West. And he's saying, actually, we don't want to follow that. We want to continue on with this model of Mother Russia, the sense of that nation-state kind of thing where the belonging is to a bigger unit. And you see the same thing happening with China, that there's this big kind of Mother China thing that everything's for the country as opposed for the individual. And so it was just very interesting to think about, like, what would that language be if we could communicate with Russia? Well, I think what I'm hearing you say is it's not just words that matter, it's ideas that matter. Like the thing that sits behind these Russian and Chinese worldviews is a, is an ideology. Yeah. It's, it's a philosophy. It's a way of thinking. And if we don't share that ideology, then what we receive from them, their words, their actions, make no sense to us whatsoever. And you can understand then that our words and actions to them also make no sense whatsoever. So we're not just learning the language here, are we? We're actually immersing ourselves in a way of thinking about the world to try and understand not just the words that are used around us, but the ideas that are bringing the words into being. Yeah. And I think one of the ways that Taylor does this through the book is through narrative. So effectively, he would say, this is my storytelling of how the world got where it is. And so he is very good at talking about all the different factors playing in the world at a certain point, say like the French Revolution or the Civil War or whatever it is, and just saying like, why did history come this way? What were the forces that were in play? Why did this revolution work and this one didn't? And so if we can understand some of those other factors, because this side of history, it just seems like that was the logical conclusion. And if we think that that's a logical conclusion, we get really confused when other people don't end up where we are. And so, as I was saying, it then impacts what we see as possible for the future in our relationships, in ourselves, in our relationships, in our wider communities and on a global level too. That's very important. And so I think the third thing that I wanted to talk about coming out of, I guess, these ideas is it's not just the world, but as missionaries, our image of what the church is and its role in this world is really important. I think as we've been talking, I've been thinking, yeah, we need to learn not to use Catholic jargon. Yeah, we need to learn to think about the fact that other people see the world through a different lens than our Catholic bubble. But actually, we probably need to think about as well, well, who do we think we are and what do we think we're doing? Yeah, I think I've seen a lot of people believing and then acting as though the church is like a fortress. There's people outside the fortress, but the goal is to get everyone into the fortress. And inside the fortress really means at Sunday Mass. That the sign of conversion is that you are inside the fortress at Sunday Mass. And so then if that's what you think the church is, 
then you're going to think the role is to either stay and foster the people inside or to go out to bring people in. And it's very much that out and in kind of mentality. And then you're going to obviously try and fortify those walls because that's your security. And Taylor would say that's, that's actually not what the church is or should be and it's not the role. I think a much better way of thinking about it is in terms of like a marketplace that rather than uh, we can stay up in that, you know, little fortress on the hill, but that's actually not reality. Reality is that we're in a marketplace and faith is one option among many, that there's so many different stalls and people might come and take a little bit from this stall, a little bit from this stall. So some examples of what this kind of marketplace mentality might mean. It definitely means that you can see all the options. So even though I might be standing at the faith stall, for want of a better word, um, so we might have, say, Haley, who's a person of faith, but she sees the person that she goes to school with at a different stall, you know, the horoscopes stall. So suddenly she's aware that that's an option and maybe they even exchange ideas. And she's like, well... I'm a person of faith, but also I'm really into horoscopes. They seem to be really working out for me. Or it might be that Bradley has no interest in faith and religion. He's never been to church. His family wasn't Christian, but he works with a girl who can't work on Sundays because that's her day for going to mass. And it cuts out the time that she can be available for work. And he starts to just wonder while he's doing that shift. Is is God real? And so it kind of poses this questioning that because I can see all of the options, I start to doubt whether I'm at the right option. I start to just be curious about people that seem satisfied in the other options that they're choosing. I start to see people that are taking little bits from one, little bits from another, little bits from another. And so I think then it becomes really fascinating if this is the situation of what it is to be in a secular age. We've got this plurality of equal options. We could just as easily be a person of faith as a person that never encounters faith, that they're both valid options. And so back in history, that wouldn't have been an option because you're in a culture where faith was the basis. But now there's an equal option that you could end up at any one of these stools. So it's really going to change, I guess, what we do as missionaries and how just as Christians we engage with the world. I think another factor that plays into that marketplace is not so much that you can see all of the options, but that you can see the size of the marketplace. And there's that FOMO factor these days. Like I'm standing at the church, the faith stall, and I actually genuinely have faith, but I'm looking at my friend across there and they're having fun doing this and that. And I know they're not consistent with my faith and maybe I can like sit on my hands and not do those things but it does set me wondering what other stalls I can't see and what other fun I'm not I'm missing out on and enough of that kind of pressure can have me go for a wander and drift away like I'm, I'm not actually denying my faith but I, I want to see what's out there yeah. in this global world where more and more options seem to be emerging and not only that but um, I would say that there's definitely a mentality in the world at the moment, that unless you're wondering that you're doing something blindly, unless you have gone and checked out all the other options, unless you have actually explored every single one of those stalls, how can you say that that's not the stall for you? Do you know what I mean? So it's 
yeah, it's very interesting to be a person of faith at, at these times. Absolutely. And it's funny because we're talking like this and yet in my mind I'm protesting and going, they're not equal. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> There's got to be a better way of having this vision. And I think that the, the truth would be, well, I still would stand by that they're not equal options in this marketplace. But the marketplace is a better vision of the world as the people that we're trying to reach with the gospel are seeing it. So while I have to learn to understand how the the rest of the world is seeing it, I have to be able to do that without coming to sit in their camp and think, yeah, yeah, there's, you know, many, many ways to be and that's okay whichever one of them you are. Like I need to be able to do this without dropping and losing something of the passion and energy that I have of that what I have to give is good and it is health and life for the human person. It's good. But at the same time, I think as well, it's good to notice the ways that this isn't just out there in the world, but that this is happening in our own hearts as Mm. well, that we do, I think, quite often have periods of time where we might, and it, it will be different for everyone, but it might be a FOMO. Or feeling like, oh, I can't experience that thing because I've rooted in my feet at this stall and I'm not moving. Or it might be a questioning, a doubting. It might be ways that we wander. It might be ways that we try to have it all and try to hold two things that are contradictory, but we try and find a way that they fit together. So I think it's, um, it's also something that can happen in our own hearts and lives as well. Absolutely. Or even like when we look at people we love who don't share our faith, and it feel like the impossibility of them ever coming to understand it. And we start trying to rationalize like, you know, there are many ways to God, that sort of thinking creeping in around why we can't or shouldn't be trying to share the gospel. Yeah, well, that's probably one of the ways um, that I see it the most in me is that trying to rationalize um, the situation of other people in my life. Well, I think that that's really good for a first start. And I really thank you for listening and for being with us in this space. So on this journey, Kat's kind of sitting in your position, the person who's being brought along for the journey. And so I'm going to give Kat and you together some some things to go away with. So we've called this podcast Contemplating Culture. And so we don't want it to just be uh, downloading of information or sharing of information, but Um, something that you can take into, I guess, your prayer life and look at, I guess, the questions that you need to be asking or things you need to be talking about with God or things you need to be noticing in the world and how you interact with the world. So first thing, and I'm going to say this every week, is I just want to invite you to take something of what you've heard in this time into a conversation. Um, Have a conversation with someone else. So Kat, there might be something um, that's stood out to you from our discussion today and you might just want to kind of gnaw on that a bit in conversation with someone else and you know see what other people are thinking see how it fits with what's happening in the world Um, and the second thing I just want to invite you into noticing the marketplace so noticing in yourself and in the people around you the different options what are the options that the world has to offer And it might be ideologies. 
It might be practices or attitudes. There's a whole bunch of things. So um, just notice the options rather than kind of staying locked in that little fortress and thinking that this is the only viable option. You know, people are living with other options. So just taking note of what some of those other things might be as a way of opening up our hearts to then being kind of down there in the marketplace that we might be able to start engaging with them. Okay, friends, um, it's been beautiful spending this time together. Thank you, Kat. It's been great discussion and take care. This has been Contemplating Culture, a podcast produced by the Missionaries of God's Love Sisters. For more information from today's episode, be sure to check out the show notes. We pray that today has blessed you. And most importantly, we invite you to continue the conversation.